The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we're going to dive into the debate over Josh Wolf's future. We'll preview the Minnesota United match. We'll talk about the latest transfer rumor. We haven't had one of those in a while, so that should be fun. And then we'll also cover a few other pieces of Austin FC news. I'm Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We are also joined by... Uh, let me check my notes here. I, I don't remember writing this, but it's in the notes, so I'm going to read it. So... We're joined by local model, Twitter influencer, and someone who many are calling the greatest soccer mind of our generation, Chris Wellhausen. And then it says, pause for applause. Wow, thank you so much, guys. That's, uh, <laughs> that's really nice of you. I'll put um, the applause in in post, Chris. Yeah, if you, actually, if you just want to turn it down, it's pretty loud how, how loud you guys are just <laughs> cheering. Um, I don't know if that makes the final cut, but they were there's a few woos thrown out there. But that's really sweet, Landon. Thank you. It's uh, great to be back on the show. Anytime, buddy. Yeah, man. Um, well, it's good to see you guys. So wait, I think we were all at the uh, U.S. men's national team game recently, right? We were. That was well, a, a fun game. Yeah, it was. I, and I feel, I feel like we should probably... Okay, this is because this was kind of my idea. I watched the game in the American Outlaws section, and after we maybe last week kind of trashed some AO songs and chants and sort of the experience <laughs> and told people to like lower their expectations for being at Q2 Stadium, I had a damn good time. I I'm really, blast. yeah. I mean, I mean the whole thing like it's all it's all kind of overdone and whatever. But like, I had friends up from San Antonio who had never been to a game in that stadium before, and they were like, "This is amazing. This is the best experience we ever ever had." The Tifa was great. So I want to say. Great job from Q2. Great job from American Outlaws. And like, I really, I really had a way better time than I expected to have in the stadium that night. Totally. I think we, I think Austin was put on a good show, put a good example of itself too, that it's hard to make the atmosphere bleed into a national team. And it was, it was pretty good, man. It was, I really enjoyed it. You know, it's funny, Jay, I was sitting next to this guy um, who was like, he hadn't been to an Austin FC game yet. And I think that was his first national team game. And he was like, this atmosphere is insane. Like, Oh my God, it's crazy. He goes, do you go to Austin FC games? Is it, is it almost as good as this? And I, I just like put my hand on his shoulder and was like, sweet summer child. You have no idea. <laughs> like, I was like, this is, this is good. But Austin FC, I was like, we wouldn't be able to hear each other right now if we were at an Austin FC game. And so I think there's something to point out, Jeremiah, you mentioned like the atmosphere bleeding over from one to the other. And I don't necessarily think it did. The crowd seemed like, I would say 75% completely like a completely different crowd. I don't, I don't know the exact numbers, but for the most part, it seemed to be a completely different set of people in there from uh, most of whom I'm, I'm guessing are from Austin or from within Texas. But I think that's impressive in itself that it's not the same people coming in and just uh, maybe a testament to how, how much Austin really likes soccer yeah. <laughs> so that you can bring in two different sets of 20,000 people into a stadium and the atmosphere is still very, very good. Yeah. The guy in front of me, he was, uh, he was from, he was an AO guy. He was from somewhere else. And so when the TIFO came out and he's like, what is this Ulo Ang? Like, what, like, what is that? Like, why is that on the TIFO? I was like, I mean, it's the guy that's made the opening, opening match. Like, how would you not know that? And he's like, Hey man, I'm from Minneapolis or Cincinnati or wherever. Like I don't come to every Austin FC game. And that, that was the moment where I was like, Oh yeah, 
This is this is not all us. And that's also, that also made me understand or appreciate maybe kind of why like you need really simple chants. And you need like not that many because you're bringing people in from all over the country that are going to come together once and they're going to go their own way. And you know that that very spe- that very group of people may never get together again. And you can't orchestrate things the way you can when we're all together. 20 right. times the stadium in one season yeah and it's I did, also i didn't you think, think about, about that before the band like with, with the murga being able to rehearse together all the time like it's a different band at, at every national team game essentially and so yeah i think i think that's a good point to make as well but um yeah i i'm glad we got to take that opportunity for me to uh i don't know if apologize should i apologize or at least just like say that i i underestimated what the atmosphere is going to be like and yeah it was it was a lot of fun and i thought it was excellent and it seemed like kind of the narrative nationally was the same thing people all over twitter all over the country were saying like man austin is for real like that stadium's crazy right now yeah you know i would say one thing weirdly is i was less like excited to see that it was so loud and i was weirdly more excited to see that we still did the beer showers because i don't know if i can think of a (laughs) a game played domestically with the national team where like that reaction happened. That wasn't like a final or something. Even still, I don't know if I can think of a specific one. So I think visually, like all the video clips I'm seeing coming out of the highlights, like it looks so much crazier than the national team games I'm used to watching. So I was really excited to see just like audio wise, like noise wise and just visually like it, you could tell it was a great atmosphere. I was really proud to be an Austin soccer fan. All right, so we do not have a game to recap this week because Austin FC and most of MLS was off for the last week. Uh, So we're going to jump straight into some Austin FC news. uh, And then later on, we'll get to the hashtag wolf in versus hashtag wolf out debate. But yeah, let's jump into that Austin FC news real quick. So I think one of the most exciting little bits right now is there's a player rumor, which I don't know when the last time we had it. I guess Driussi was our last player rumor, really. And so to have player rumors, it's it's going to be an offseason one, I guess. But uh, his name's Kevin Ariaga. He's a midfielder from Honduras. He's 23 years old, is already playing regularly and starting regularly for the full national team and plays for uh, Marathon, which is the, I would guess, I should have done more research into this, but I would guess either the most successful or one of the most successful Honduran club teams. And like they're regularly in CONCACAF Champions League and playing against MLS teams there. So um, a very accomplished player for his age so far. He's been linked to Minnesota United as well. But the rumor is that Austin FC holds his discovery rights, which uh, we're not going to get into or explain. Google it if you don't know what that means. But (laughs) it, it essentially means Austin FC has dibs. And so... If Minnesota want him, they're going to have to work out a deal with Austin first. And so, um, yeah, it's I. it'll be interesting to see if, if Austin really is interested in him or if they're just trying to up the price from Minnesota for the trading of, that, uh, of those rights. So have we seen anything saying that Austin actually wants him? Because I don't know that being, you know, just being the team that has a discovery rights necessarily means anything. We saw this a few months ago. When we bought Musajite and we had to give the Galaxy fifty thousand in GAM to acquire him, and I don't think they had any interest in him. They just wanted to make like a little bit of a deal. So, do do we know that Austin's? I mean, it's a position of need. Do we do we have we seen anything to say that like Austin actually wants him on the club? 
it seems like the rumors are fairly sparse at this point anyway. Um, so maybe there's nothing there. Maybe it, that is all it is, is that someone heard that Austin has a discovery rights and that's all there is to it. But uh, I mean, it is in a position that Wolf has recently said that we're looking to deepen the squad in. So that part of it at least makes sense. And then I know a lot of people saw him play against Mexico yesterday and decided he was terrible based upon one performance. <laughs> and I believe that you've done a little bit more research on him. So why why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, Kevin Arriaga as a player? I won't say I've done a lot more research, but I've done a little bit of research. Landon, and... before the show, you said you were the self-proclaimed expert. <laughs> It's Chris writing in our notes again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Kervin Arriaga is a, he's a central midfielder. I've seen him being billed as a defensive midfielder, but looking back through his game history, he's very rarely played as a solo six. It's almost always in a double pivot with someone beside him. He's also occasionally played center back, but not very often. So uh, it seems to be, uh, his, 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 his playing history is essentially in a double pivot in one of those central midfield spots. Uh, he's a big guy. I think he's listed at six, three, a little bit lanky, but not, not skinny by any means. Um, and I watched through his goals. He seems to essentially only score headers from set pieces or corners or long range, just like howitzer cannon shots. And so, he takes free kicks and he's not going to be the guy on the edge of the box with the little finesse curler into the top corner. He's the like 25 yards out. I'm just going to blast it. And he scores it sometimes. And so um, that would be a fun thing to add to the attacking arsenal. One thing I did watch a little bit not long before we started recording was some, uh, some of his defensive actions. And that made me a little bit, um, more hesitant to be excited about this move. I would need to watch more footage, um, but he did not look like a great 1v1 defender, uh, which is something you would think you would want from someone playing in that position, especially if we're trying to bring someone in to allow Ring to play further forward. Um, he's definitely not Alex Ring with his defensive abilities. He's He's a bit more like a tall, more lumbering guy, and so... Uh, he, yeah, I, I just wasn't so convinced with his defensive abilities. I could be, I could change my mind if I watched a bit more footage maybe, but, and then also to be fair, some of the footage I watched was him playing against Canada and the United States. And so he was trying to defend Alfonso Davies and Christian Pulisic for some of the footage that I watched. And so maybe not the fairest of, uh, of assessments there, but I would need to see a bit more, or maybe even just know what the plan was for him before I was before I got excited about this one. So excited about his shooting ability, but aside from that, I'm, I'm not so sure. Yeah, I don't know that much about him, so I'll have to just take your word for it as the nation's uh, foremost expert on this player. <laughs> so yeah. if wh- where would y'all want to see, like wh- where where do you see a player like that fitting into the into the, the current team? Jay, you want to take that one? That's I don't know that stuff. I mean, I think... Uh... Our issue seems to be more with pace than size, right? So I don't know that it's like a obvious need. Yeah, he's not God. He's not going to fix the pace problem. He's not. Yeah. Doesn't seem to be that fast. But I mean, I think it's 
I could, I've got to like zoom out to give his opinion because I don't know much about him, but I think it's nice to have a variety of just like uh, player profiles to fill different roles, especially in the midfield. And if you think you're rotating and having guys compete for that spot between Pochettino, Pereira, and and him, then that could be a nice, like healthy mix just to have some tactical options. But yeah, other than that, I don't know. It, it doesn't, you know, it seems like it could be cool. He seems like he's got a lot of promise and, based on the Twitter comments I've seen from fans of his team, they, they seem like he they really rate him highly. But other than that, like, you know, it's, it's kind of a, it's not like our center back position where we, we know exactly what we need and he is, or isn't that like kind of would be like a luxury depth piece. It seems like to, to maybe push the guys we've got and fight for a spot himself. And in that sense, like seems fine. You know, we'll see if he pays off or not, if we do go for him. Yeah. And I think for, you know, somebody to not, to not make Alex Ring our best player at possibly three positions is is nice. That's where I think he helps out. And also, you know, we've we've been lacking when Ring can't play. And the guy's what could it be thirty what, thirty, thirty one next season? Like uh, we're gonna need thirty one next season, yeah. Yeah. So like I think that is a like an emerging position of need. I mean, it's not it's not that obvious, uh, like center back is, but I think I can see that we want being one of the two or three most important positions that we have to fill. Um, just on the roster overall. So I'll go with like speaking of national team players, and I, I don't know if it even counts because Slovenia uh, played a couple matches over the last week, and we had our guy John Kolmanich make the team, but he did not actually get to play in either of the qualifiers, right? He did not, and I actually had a little exchange with his agent on Twitter. I essentially, said that that the coaches are a little bit fearful of of playing young guys. Like they're not the same as some of these other European nations who play their young players, but um, so he he didn't seem very hopeful about John getting any minutes, and John didn't get any minutes. So if he was going to, it was going to be in that first game. Was it uh, Moldova? Is that who they played? Is that that's that's who we played before they played? They played Russia in the last one, right? Yeah, yeah. they got beat by Russia, but in the first game, I think they um played I think it was Moldova anyway it was a smaller team that they were like picked to beat and he essentially said if he's gonna play it's in this game and he didn't get any minutes in that game and so once that game passed I was like yeah he's probably not gonna see any minutes and now they're out of the tournament so I was gonna say how that play out for him huh yeah (laughs) should have played our guy I know um yeah I mean it's if nothing else good for Jean to go get uh kind of that experience his first experience with the full national team hopefully he made some impressions in training and we'll get uh get called back in at some point but uh also happy to to have him back nice and fresh and rested for the rest of austin's games okay so let's transition into the hashtag wolf in versus hashtag wolf out debate and i know we've been kind of billing this as a debate but over the last week and kind of preparing for this and kind of thinking about what we wanted this show to be, I started kind of leaning away from the whole debate idea because I didn't want I didn't want any any of the three of us to think that we had to stick to one side of it the whole show. I think it's more true and more representative of the fan base and more honest if we're allowed to kind of jump back and forth across the line on different topics because that's just the reality of it, right? And I think one of the things that helped me realize this was uh, a discussion that was going on in, in Los Verdes Slack and Katie Ensign posted the following bit that was, I think, I think really nicely said. She said, if you're Wolfin, you should be able to understand that he's left a lot to be desired. 
with how he interacts with the public. If you're Wolf out, you should be able to understand that when Wolf Ball works, it looks nice. And it's a huge risk to bring in a new coach with all these other moving pieces. And that was part of a larger point that it shouldn't be so binary and that we shouldn't let this like divide people because we live in a country that's extremely divided. And a lot of it is because you have to adhere very strictly to one side or the other in so many parts of your life that it just is very easy to fall into that. And at the end of the day, we're all Austin FC fans. We all want the same thing. And I think by making this a debate, it does artificially divide us a little bit. And I don't really want to do it that way. And so I think it's 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 just a more honest look at it, a more real look at it to just lay all the cards on the table. Let's talk about it, share some opinions, opinions of our own. We also ask for questions on Twitter. We're going to share some opinions of other Austin FC fans that we've kind of taken in and just kind of, um, yeah, just see where everybody's at right now and then kind of voice our opinions and other people's opinions on different, a few different topics regarding Josh Wolf's uh, job at Austin FC. So it's very sweet and thoughtful and yeah. we're going to break before we do this. So before, so before we go to break, let's lay down exactly what our opinions are and then, and then we'll go to commercial and come back out. So Maybe Chris, the easiest you, segue I can give is yeah. Landon. That was kind of inspirational. I mean, that was more inspiring than any Josh Wolf press conference I've seen all year. <laughs> um, all right, Chris. Chris is laying its cards out on this one for sure. <laughs> no, I mean, I if you follow my Twitter at the right hour of uh, a night after a loss, you would think I'm diehard Wolf out. But and I definitely lean more Wolf out. I'm probably a little harsher in my opinions on him than than most. But I'm definitely not at a point that he couldn't win me over. You know. I'm, like you said, like, I don't think it's black or white. There's plenty he could do to, to make up lost ground and, and convince me he's the guy for the job. But as of right now, I'm probably a little more of an Audi than an innie, you know? <laughs> what about you, Jeremiah? Oh, I've uh, early on, I think I said that like, I'm a wolf in for a season and a half and I continue to be that. I mean, there's all the reasons that we haven't led up to expectations Every press conference I watch when we lose, there's like a series of plausible excuses for why things turned out the way they did from injuries to weird goals that didn't happen to whatever. And I'm like, I'm willing to buy that between now and the summer um, when we should have a good body of work with a full roster. So I am wolf in between. Yeah, I, I'm in the same place. And I came up with uh, a new hashtag that I don't know if we'll catch on or not, but I'm not so much hashtag Wolf in, but more hashtag give Wolf, give Wolf a chance. And I don't know that a year is long enough to do that. I'm in the same boat as Jeremiah. A year and a half minimum is as, I think that's as little time as you could give a guy in this, in these circumstances and expect him to actually do anything different. Like it could have, it could have been a better season, but just given the circumstances, I don't know that, that it was ever going to be much better than it has been. So, um, so that's kind of where we're all standing. I could see Chris smirking at the last sentence I made. <laughs> so yeah, we'll, we'll get into the arguments here, but, uh, before we do that, we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll get into debating all these points. Moontower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FVF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. And I saw them out 
think it was on their Instagram. I saw them out at Ronald McDonald House uh, last week making meals for the the families in need. So it's good to see evidence of them leading up to the ad copy that we read every week on behalf of FEF. They've never failed us before, Jeremiah. You can go to FVF.law to find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's FVF.law. So we have a... We've renewed the deal with Teardrop Pepper Company through the end of the season. And Chris Wilhausen, you actually read the very first ad for Teardrop while I was away on vacation. And You're so welcome. it's 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 it seems fitting to have you here for this one. Yeah. I mean, I what can I say? You know, as you mentioned and correctly referred to me earlier, I am an influencer. Clearly the ad read <laughs> went well. I'm really glad to, to hear the news. You're welcome, you know. And I clearly, I think we read that like four times and Lennon had to pick out like the one, the one like 30 second bit that made sense. To be but fair, it was, it was the first take. I, I used the I first take. I actually believe so that. Cause y'all nailed it, it. Y'all nailed it in one. It, no, it went downhill after. <laughs> <laughs> well, Teardrop Pepper Company has finally created the perfect recipe right here in Austin, Texas. Their all natural award winning hot sauce has a delicious blend of flavor and heat, enhancing your favorite foods and leaving you wanting more. Whether you like the zesty kick of a golden habanero or the garlicky smoothness of Supreme Serrano, it's the best way to spice up your Austin FC pre-match meals or, you know, breakfast drinks or after game drinks or whatever you might want to be. Teardrop Pepper Company has two unique flavors available and you can order from their website, teardroppepperco.com or from their social media pages. And I'm going to give you guys a little peek behind the curtain here that um so these ads we do we don't just do them out of the goodness of our heart these companies pay us money to do it and it's not a lot of money but it's a fair amount of money it's it's market rate and it's what we're worth (laughs) yes (laughs) um but uh they only they only keep paying us money if the ads work and you buy hot sauce from them. And so if, if you want Teardrop Pepper Company to keep paying us, then you should go to teardroppepperco.com and use the offer code GOAL, G-O-A-L, to save 10% off of your order. Put it on everything. They'll make more. All right, we are back and we're ready to jump into the great wolf in, wolf out debate. So the way we decided to go about this is we had Chris kind of put together, since he's the the most wolf out of the three of us, we decided to have him put together kind of his list of things and then we're going to mix in some opinions from, uh, from fans on Twitter as well. But uh, we'll just kind of go through a few points about Austin FC season, about how we think Josh Wolf has done in various areas, and we'll just kind of pitch in and have kind of a, a flowing conversation uh, of of how we how we see these these various topics. So, Chris, do you want to get us started off? Yeah, I do want to like preface all this by saying it wasn't like when we were discussing this when I set up this kind of outline it wasn't to prove one way or the other. And in all honesty, this is kind of the questions I was asking myself when I was trying to figure out which side I swayed towards, because it's obviously like, it's an emotional thing when you talk about the team and you talk about who should lead it. But I think these are the ways I kind of honestly have to ask myself, like how good or bad is he actually doing? Like taking myself out of the heat of, you know, my late night Twitter tirade and (laughs) and just genuinely looking at him. And so 
you know, you'll kind of see what I mean as we, we go further down. But the first thing I wanted to discuss is let's talk about where we really are. You know, it's like one thing to point out that we're bottom of the West, but comparatively, how bad is it right now? Um, and I actually did a little bit of research uh, before the show and went up and looked at every expansion team in the modern MLS era, which I think most would agree starts in 2015 when Orlando City and NYCFC joined the league. So since then, uh, prior to us, there were eight teams, and including Orlando City, NYCFC, Atlanta United, Minnesota United, LAFC, FC Cincinnati, Nashville, and Inter-Miami. And I compared not only where they ended with their points total at the end of their first season, if they made the playoffs, but also where they were at compared to us at this point in the season. And it was pretty interesting, you know, one, as far as just a general judgment on expansion teams, even split 50-50 on who makes playoffs and who doesn't. Uh, four made the playoffs, four did not. Um, one notable shout out before I get into the specifics is Orlando City, at this point in their season, were really not doing great. And they won five of their six last games. So for the people shaming those that are like, we could make the playoffs. And it's like, that's insane, which yeah, it's a reach. It, I did not remember that happening for Orlando and they were very close to making the playoffs. So uh, just goes to show there still could be a lot to salvage from this season. Um, but what was interesting is just comparing to where we are compared to those other expansion seasons. So we're currently sitting at 25 points. Some of these I did have to, kind of account by points per game average, just because, you know, in 2020, they didn't play as many games. So right. there's not a like for like, um, but comparatively at this point in the season, uh, Orlando city, uh, was at 29 points. Again, they went on to win five of the last six. So that changed quite a bit. Uh, they ended their season just one spot below the playoff spot. NYCFC, uh, was at 28 points at this point in their season, their first year, uh, went on to finish just two spots below with 37 total Atlanta had 46 points at this point in their season finished fourth, did really well. Minnesota United 29 points. So pretty close to us went on to finish ninth with 36 LAFC finished with 47 um, or sorry, was 47 at this point in the season finished with 57 and third in their conference. FC Cincinnati was buckle up for this. 18 points at this point in their season and only got six more finished in last place with, I think the worst expansion season record season record of all time with 24 points. So, you know, one kudos to Josh. He's already passed that line. Um, and then Nashville and inner Miami are kind of hard to compare against because of the shortened, uh, uh, season they went through last year. Um, but if, you do points per game average, they would be at Nashville would have been at 39 points uh, at this point in their season. And Miami would have been at 24. So actually pretty comparable to us. Um, so I know that was just a ton of information, but it's interesting to take it all in perspective to say that, you know, outside of Atlanta and LAFC, we actually aren't super far off right now with where most teams were, were lower than almost all of them. Uh, I think except for FC Cincinnati, but we really were not terribly far off the beaten path, which I think is kind of interesting. Cause I, I went in thinking it was going to be much worse than it looked. I well, think I can, I'm a little surprised at those numbers as well. I, I kind of figured it would have been 
I knew like not as I figured there would be some of them around the same, but to see that almost all of them were around the same is a little bit surprising to me. All of them outside of LA and Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was gonna say I think there were two there were two important things you, you made out of that. I think everybody remembers LA and Atlanta. And I think and when people talk about expansion, I saw I wanna start where you started. People are like, Oh, well, Chicago like won it in their expansion season twenty years ago, but that was a very different league. And I don't very different. <laughs> it was yeah, everybody's expansion season. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think that people do a very good job of like appreciating where we are now and who we're competing against. And I really think that that set of eight teams, when you look at expansion, is the right is the right comparison. Um, on the other hand, I did go back and uh, there was this article that um, I think it was who was it? Andrew Weeby wrote about like coaches on the uh, whether first year coaches are on the hot seat, and he says. Their floor is payout, playoff competitive. I don't see FC Cincinnati 2019 or Minnesota United 2017 in this group. And so we've surpassed FC Cincinnati 2019, but we seem really, really on par with Minnesota United 2017. So I think we're underperforming against expectations for sure. Yeah, it would be actually quite the feat, I think, to match Minnesota's points a game. I mean, we got to win a majority of these, these remaining games to match them. Um, one other note I want to throw out there is you know, this one big takeaway is while comparatively we are pretty similar to most of these teams where they're at at this game week in their season, their first season, um, a lot of them finish really strong. So that may just be a, a thing with expansion teams, whether it's the starting to gel, filling roster holes like we've seen with ours, whatever. So it's it's kind of a really good time to be judging Wolf because most expansion teams go on kind of a hot streak at the end, it seems like. The other big note I'd put is while we are comparable to most, the only expansion team to finish in last place, period, is FC Cincinnati. And there is still a very real chance that we replicate that. So, again, this is like kind of the fun part of this debate is it's hard to be black or white about it. Like, you can take this information either direction you want, right? And one thing that I don't know that this is relevant to this conversation, but looking at Cincinnati's points that first season and then looking at the points their their second season <laughs> they ended that year with 16 points is that right oh no they ended the season with 24 points no the second their second season though oh their yeah, second they got worse. season yeah, yeah they, got, they worse. got worse the second year which is I think again maybe not relevant to this point but I have said it many times over the years and even though, over the year and even though we're not in a great spot right now I will still say proudly that at least we are not FC Cincinnati because I still don't think organizationally we are as in bad of shape as they were or are now. Right. And, you know, so we had discussed, I remember coming on the podcast earlier in the year, I think it was still in preseason and talking about what our expectations kind of hopes for the season were. And maybe it was both of you, but I specifically remember Landon saying like what he wanted was he wanted to see promise. So if we finished, outside the playoffs, but it looked promising. You were going to be good. And I think we can still realistically get to that point. You know, if he wins a majority of these remaining games and we climb up to 10th or 9th in the table, I, I, and, you know, end on a hot streak, like that's promise that that's, that's something to believe in. And you've got to think that that's something the players could then grip onto to say, yeah, next year, like, let's, let's see, let's follow this guy. Like it, it got good. Let's, you know, let's ride this wave a bit. And so I think that is the one interesting thing is, you know, even looking at the last week of, of gameplay, you know, we saw hints of that with two 
pretty good wins. But we also saw one kind of disaster game unfold again that you could largely credit to Josh, right? So it's going to be really interesting to see which version of Josh Wolf's gameplay and results we see over the last, uh, what, six games we have left? Yeah, and I think that transitions well into the next little segment we want to move into, which is uh, we've broadly titled it tactics, but talking about kind of like game management, overall game tactics. So what are what are some of the points that either your opinions or opinions that we've seen on Twitter uh, in, I guess, against Josh Wolf? You know, I think Daniel B. Nelson had probably the best, actually the best summary he could he could do in less than tw- 280 characters, which we're going to spend like 40 minutes doing, but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> that is, you know, if you look at uh, this, this is, this is Daniel's uh, tweet. Frisco lineup, terrible subs, lack of consistency, uh, benching hot players, which we saw with Pochettino after he won player of the week. Uh, the Denver lineup, and I feel like Lots of people would also feel that way about Frisco. Uh, not knowing concussion rules, blaming players for not watching films, and blaming reporters for reporting his dumb travel decisions. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, would you like to expand on this particular tweet? I feel like that wraps all of it up. Which parts of it do you really buy into, and and, and where do you want to go from here? Yeah, I think we're done here, right? I mean, that says it all. <laughs> but no, I, I think there's a lot of really good points in there, you know, that one thing I noticed looking back on our results um, and really asking like, okay, like how much of this is like, what has he done well and what is he not? Like there are a few games I could think of that Josh Wolf's substitutions, lineup selection, or just general system, like definitively was the source that won us the game. And like for, for any one of those reasons, but I did. I said I did not see much of that at all, and I don't think I can think of a single game that like it's absolutely his tactics or his subs or his lineup that won it for us. But there are plenty of games you can look at and say he lost it, right? I mean, Frisco, you can absolutely say that's on him. That's a he rotated way too hard on that lineup, and it cost us. Same thing with Colorado, and he even admitted that. Um, and I think even looking back at where we saw the first real shift downwards which uh, was against Sporting Kansas City. Even before the red card, when Alex Ring got sent off, he started going defensive. And he he invited all that pressure, which I'm not going to say is what led to the red card. You know, that's on Ring for not being a little more measured. But he he got one goal and said, let's let's pump the brakes. And we've seen that a lot this year. And I don't think it's paid off for us yet, other than maybe Minnesota the game before that. So, yeah, that's a big criticism I have of him is, you know, I watch these other more established and and what many would agree are good coaches around the league. And I mean, for the Lord's sake, like Brian Schmetzer brought a bunch of teenagers here and beat us. You know, I mean, we talk about things like injuries, handicapping Wolf, but I just, I don't see him navigate that well. And I don't see him make these decisions that salvage a point or win us the game. And I see a lot of other coaches, even under adversity in their roster, persevere and, and, and manage to to make the right decisions to win games for them, you know? So that's a big struggle I have with him. Yeah, I have some rebuttals to that, but I feel like they're better placed later on in the discussion. So I'll I'll <laughs> bite my tongue for the moment. That's just code for he's speechless. He has nothing to say, <laughs> and I nailed that. Yeah, we have, we have, Landon's got to get up off the floor here in a minute, and we, and we will see him again. Yeah, I'd really thought about that 
point that much. I definitely remember when we yeah at KC we scored the goal and then just went defensive. And I think that's the first time that people were super frustrated because before that we were off to one of like the best starts of a franchise of like an expansion team in the if, history of the league, right? If we had won that game, we would have had the best start to any expansion team in the history of the league. And then that that was maybe the first um man, I would I would long for those that young and golden Jeremiah that thought that that was like as bad <laughs> it was gonna get. Cause I don't know how many times no we've pain. said yeah, how many times we said like, oh, that was a really bad loss, and that was a really bad loss. And we'll talk about one of those later. But um yeah, there's just there's it seems we've talked about this before. There seems to be a tendency to like overthink and to tinker and to try things. And it's one of the things he holds in common with Greg Berhalter, which we talked about before we started recording. But we seem to have a best success when we just sort of rely on the talent that we have to go and, out to roll the ball out and like do the best they can do and not like over overthink decisions and substitutions and things like that. Well, let's talk about that for a second. Because I think the flip side of that debate point, right, is well, I don't think that I've seen him tactically outmaster another team, meaning like he adjusted his tactics to accommodate how they play. His system, when it works, looks great. And I think that's a big point I see a lot of people say is like, hey, that's not easy, especially in this league, to get a defined style of play that looks good. Um, and that's something I struggle with a lot is, you you know, go back to that, you know, innocent Jeremiah you were just referencing at the beginning of the season, like, we were watching, even when we lost, we were competing. The The style of play was defined. It looked great. And so there is that value, and I'm not ignorant to that. And I think it's worth considering, like, that is something important. However, and I want y'all's thoughts on this. I feel like when things got bad and we lost a few pieces, he over-tinkered so much that it made it much worse. You know I mean? Even, like, the Colorado game last week or a couple weeks ago, it's like, why not just play a guy like Freddie Kleeman in his correct position and let him grow? Even if even if we lose, play the way we're supposed to play and put everyone where they're supposed to be, even if it's a weaker version of someone there, instead of just over bending and breaking and, and adjusting for just the sake of getting some better talent on the field, you know, like and and doing that in Colorado this late in the season after we've already seen that doesn't work when he's tried it. Like that. That's what frustrates me is like, I think if he had all season just stuck to his guns and said, even if we're playing a lesser version of someone in this role, we're going to play our way, we'd be way better off. And it, and it kind of concerns me that even this late into the season, he's still making that mistake. I mean, what do y'all think? Yeah, that's that's actually my my biggest thought on Josh Wolf's like his tactical management and game management is that from all accounts of a lot of well-respected and smart people within the league, I mean, we don't, we, we're not in the locker room. We don't see what he talks about or what he's teaching, but from a, a lot of well-respected and smart people around the league say that Josh Wolf is a very intelligent tactical mind, a very smart soccer coach. And I think that on like the, the macro scale that seems to be true because when it's clicking, it's a really good system that works well. It's very similar to what Burhalter did in Columbus, which probably overperformed based on the roster that they had. And then uh, it's based on the same principles that are uh, winning Champions Leagues essentially in Europe right now. And so it is, it's a sound, the principles are sound and they 
can work and we've seen them work in fits and starts this season. But to your point, like the, the in-game management, kind of like those in the moment decisions or uh, like leading up to a game decisions, those are the moments where Josh Wolf has seemed to failed this year. And so I think as far as, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things you would hope that he would learn some of these things by the end of the year, but it is still just one year and a year where there's been a lot of obstacles thrown at him during it. And so, um, yeah, that, that would be my argument there is that in-game stuff I think will come or not necessarily will come. I think it can come with more experience and just more games under his belt the tactical part of it, like the macro tactical part, those principles of play that he's instilling, that's not necessarily so easy to come by. And so that would be my argument there is that like first year coach, an expansion team, we knew that he was going to make mistakes. He's maybe made more than we thought or hoped he would. Definitely. But definitely made more. My argument there, I guess maybe my hope there would be that the macro part of it is there and he's building that, but he will hopefully learn those in-game things with more experience. Can I, can I ask a follow-up question, Landon? Do you, can you think of a specific moment where you saw him display that he's learned in that regard? Can you think of a game where he made the absolute right subs that like locked us in? I think, I mean, well, yeah. So my argument about subs is that we don't have very many good players and so there are no right subs. <laughs> and so I think I'll I'll say he has made some bad subs, but there's been several games this year where people were saying, "Oh, he made the wrong subs. He he should have subbed like I think maybe timing of substitutions is where I'll criticize him. Somewhere he made them too late and we criticize him for too late and then he switched and seemed to be making them all too early for a while. And mm -hmm. so I'll criticize that part of him. But for a long time, people were saying like, oh, well, these subs were terrible. And then you look at the bench and like, who are you going to put on? It's essentially yeah. like who has a pulse and can run right now? You're on. Yeah. Go. So I, I'll definitely agree there because I think when you do look back at that, that tipping point where it started to get bad there really weren't a lot of viable options. And, you know, again, you could get into, I think he was over tinkering a little with how he set the team up and maybe could have set it up in a way that we did have an impact sub in some way, but that's too off the beaten path. We'd spend all night trying to nail that down. But I do think like to my original question, like I don't think even lately I've seen a game where I was like, Josh Wolf nailed that, you know, like I, I think I can, rationalize some of the games that he didn't have a good option and he didn't make anything of it as like a neutral point. But I still like, I don't think I've seen that part of his game grow, you know? Yeah. So my, my hope there is that whenever he does have a real bench to choose from, if we can deepen the roster over the off season, we have this, we have a good starting 11. Now we've seen that our best 11 can be very good right now but we still when he chooses to or needs to rotate depending on how you see that the second string is just not good enough still like we do not have many really solid players coming off the bench 
one thing I have seen, not necessarily substitution wise, but kind of like the team setup wise that I have seen over the last several games in, in the games that we've played well, not like the rotation games or like not counting the Colorado one, but the ones on either side of that Colorado game, it's been a much more pragmatic approach, especially defensively. <clears throat> You've seen uh, early on in the season, we were trying to high press a lot and trying to play that high press bit us in the butt several times. And so you've seen the the defense be a bit more pragmatic. We're setting up in that mid block and not pressing high all the time, but waiting for them to come to us. And whenever they step into an area, then we press and, and the trap is sprung at that point. And that's, it's not worked 100% of the time, but it's worked much better than that high press ever has. And in those two games last week where the ones we won, that system was working pretty well. And then another thing is playing out of the back. Um, we had uh, those few games in a row where Stuver kind of had a worse game. We had some some bad errors trying to play out of the back. You see Stuver pushing the lineup. He'll if it's a goal kick and he's he'll he'll make a little pump fake and see if he can get a reaction out of the the pressing team, like the attackers from the other team that are pressing. If he thinks it's going to be a bad situation, he presses he he calls the defenders off and pushes them upfield and kicks it long. And you'll see him doing that more. And so I think that is an adjustment that he's made that has helped a lot and has made the team look a bit more solid and again puts puts our slow backline under less pressure in those moments cuz we saw against i think especially against the Dallas game the one that ended 5-3 that by pressing high and having slow center backs you're asking for disaster essentially and so by keeping that mid block and not putting them under so much pressure it, it has helped a lot and made the defense look a little bit more stable so i think that's super valid and jay i want to hear your opinion on this in a sec but one thing i need to throw out before it slips away is i think that's a great point wouldn't you agree though in colorado the opposite happened i mean there were multiple goals that were because they didn't do that and you know this is a big debate that happens amongst this grander debate of wolf in or wolf out is like is it the players or is it him? And I think you could argue maybe that's an evolution of Brad Stuver in a way because Andrew Tarbell didn't make that same instruction. I can't imagine he said, not today. Let's just play out of the back every single time, right? So I, that can go either way. I'm not saying that's an end-all, be-all point, but I think it's valid to respect that it's improved. But I think part of the issue is like, and I've heard some people say this too, like uh, one of the, my friends I sit with, Daniel Axelrod, always says like, we just may not, this league may not have the talent to play out of the back to the degree he wants to. And I hope to your point, this is us seeing him evolve from that. But that's a big thing I'm watching over these this last stretch of games is, is, is that an evolution from Stuver that he's making that in the right moments? Or is it like, clearly instructed and we see more and more of it you know i get what you're saying but it's been prominent enough that it's not stuver calling it on his own uh it's it's a it's a thing they've been told to do because the whole team knows exactly what's going on and i again i think this is a thing where i've heard a lot of people say like well that's the coach's responsibility to tell him not to do that and i i think he's doing that now and so maybe it's not as early as some people would have liked but it's happening now. The coach has told them to be a bit smarter about playing out of the back, and it's it's paid off a little. Well, I, I, so I want to go back to one game before that night in Colorado, to which you mentioned it, Chris. But I think it I think it was 
a set of good substitutions and speaks to the fact that we have depth in the roster is the Galaxy match. Yeah. Right? When GTA scores at 64 and we go up 1-0, uh, then eight minutes later, McKenzie Gaines and John Gallagher come on, and it's like a set of fresh legs that can attack, and then McKenzie Gaines scores six minutes later to ice that game off. And that was a good that that was a good substitution set, but it was one of the first times when we had like, oh, we have guys in the attack that aren't just Rodney Redis and Jared Stroud running around with no purpose because they're fast, but like people who are actually threatening. And I think I think that can speak to when he has the depth, he can make a good sub. I think that's a good shout out. It is a strong finish to that game and his subs did pay off. One note I do want to put is while I agree there's a portion of the season where we did not have viable bench options it has not been the whole season to say he hasn't had options up until the galaxy i would game say is just it has like, been i would say it's still true now but well i disagree I, yeah i mean and I, I would also say does it excuse what happened like three days later when all of a sudden with even with the exact same set of players to choose from many perez is like on the field at the start of the game and that's that's where i get to like it's super inconsistent like and he he can be good and i don't know so I don't know. I can't tell you whether he's learned or not. Like so, after yeah, the Galaxy, yeah. I would have thought like, yeah, he's learned and this is going to be great going forward. And then I think we were all not satisfied or happy three days later against Colorado. I, I think we should move on to the next point here. But one one thing here that I've thought about a lot, and this is goes back to a point that I brought up on the show before, and it's from uh, Kevin Morris, who I've mentioned on the show before. He says that Wolf has smart guy syndrome, that he's a really smart guy and he knows he's a smart guy and he thinks he can smart his way out of situations. And my hope is that with a fuller roster, he realizes he doesn't need to be so smart or like, quote unquote, smart that just, okay, this guy's tired. Do you have another guy that's almost as good as him that plays the same position? Put him in. And that's it. Like simplify it. And I think a deeper bench helps him not try to like galaxy brain games and he can just rotate normally as opposed to having to play Alex ring at center back whenever he leaves a couple of guys home. So I think that's actually a good segue into the next point of discussion is man management, right? So this is the really tough area to debate because we're not in the locker room. We don't know everything that's said. We don't know. We have to kind of connect the dots to even make an educated guess you know, um, but I think it ties into part of what we're talking about with that last subject of he doesn't have the options on the bench. Like, I think to a degree, you could say if he's a better coach, he makes more of those options, you know, to, to say all of those players are just useless pieces off the bench. Like, I just don't buy that fully. And I think even more so, like, I don't view Jared Stroud as a viable option off the bench right now, but at the beginning of the season, he made impactful plays. He was useful. It's like, what changed? Did he regress so quickly? You know, it's, and I'm not, I don't want to focus in just on Stroud. Jared Stroud specifically played himself out of the lineup. He, he was good and then he was bad and then he stopped playing. So it wasn't like Josh pulled him when he was doing good. He started being really bad for a while. Yeah. But in the same way, like, and I'm not judging Wolf for taking Stroud out and I don't want Stroud to be the centerpiece of this discussion. Gallagher maybe is a better example, but doesn't a good coach say like, oh, these are your strengths and weaknesses. I'm going to deploy you in the right way to bring more of those those good sides of you out, you know? I mean, Gallagher to, is to a better a degree, example because... But like, where you can't play Stroud anywhere else. That's where he plays and he wasn't good. So you stop playing him. 
But that's that's see, that's not true though. Because before we bought him, he didn't play on the wing. He played in the center of the field and he was great. He was doing it at Red Bull though. Playing central midfield in Red Bull is way different than what you're asking asking central midfielders to do in this system. I then the, we're going to like derail too much. If we focus on Stroud too much more, but <laughs> my point is like, I think there's multiple players that myself included have written off to say like, Oh, we don't have a good option on the bench. But then I watch other coaches in the league take players that we don't rate highly and make something of it to at least grind out a result. And it kind of bothers me that I haven't really seen a, a lot of that. You know, I don't know if there's a player that other than maybe Stuver and Fagundes that have like definitively year over year looked better under Josh Wolf than the years prior. And so when we talk about man management, like that's something I take into account is like, who's like clearly thrived. Who has he like really pulled it out of? Like, I, I don't know. I, you just named some of them. I mean, Diego Fagundes has arguably been our best player consistently. Like from a consistency standpoint, Diego's not really had a bad game. And that's a guy who was kind of in the doghouse before. Brad Stuver is a guy who'd never started a game. And so I I don't know that it was Wolf, but I think if you're going to give criticism one way, you need to give credit the other way as well. Yeah, and I can give credit. Those guys are good. But, you know, again, you get to the next layer of that and – Stuver, I mean, A, he has started some games before, but he's never been a season starter, right? But as a goalkeeper, you could say, like, well, unless Josh Wolf gave him some advice that, like, transformed how he perceives goalkeeping, which would be pretty impressive considering he was a striker, it maybe is just he took the most of his chance. And yeah, Bagunas fair enough. undoubtedly has been great, but he wasn't a nobody before. He just wasn't being deployed by his most recent coach. Before that, he was a great and highly rated player. And so I'm not, I'm not taking it away from Wolf. He's, he's used him very well. And Diego has done very well everywhere. He's been deployed, I think under Wolf, but again, that's one guy that, that was, we know was good before we got him. Like, I, I, I guess it just, all I'm coming back to is when we talk about man management, I think about things like the press conference where he targeted a young player in Danny Pereira. I think about how he benched Pochettino after he finally got a, a good game in. And I can't think of guys where I'm like, man, I, I never rated him before, but under Wolf, he looks like a lion. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's something I, I need to see from him. And hopefully we start to see it now that he doesn't have to feel this need to bend the, the formation and lineup around so much, but I definitely haven't seen enough of it so far. So it's, I would, I, I would argue against the the whole like analyzing stuff from press conferences and the touchy feely stuff by referring back to Diego Fagundes' previous coach, like the greatest ho- coach in the history of Major League Soccer, is Bruce Arena, and he's kind of a grumpy jerk, and like nobody loves him, and nobody's gonna get like he's not gonna go like come make out with the fans and you know love everybody and like yet a good still coach would <laughs> right like all the all the things every time somebody says like josh wolf doesn't do this or josh wolf doesn't do that or whatever like bruce arena does none of that stuff the and difference yet is bruce gets, wins. he gets a ton of success yeah <laughs> right. bruce arena wins right so like i feel like all these things that we're talking about in terms of man and management are trying to interpret like what josh is how people feel about josh from like watching a 15 second clip of a YouTube video yeah. is just a result of him not winning and has nothing to do whether or not he's like a good coach and the, the right coach. For the this team. is a point I want to hit. So Katie Ensign and 
uh, Brian Mangum, it seems like their biggest sticking point with Wolf has to do with press conferences. And so I've heard them throw, like, say the words uh, arrogant, condescending, and defensive. I know, Jeremiah, I know that you've watched every press conference that's happened since before the season started because we talk about him afterwards every time. Chris, I know that you've watched probably most of the ones that have been publicly available since the season started. Do you guys see Josh Wolf as an arrogant and condescending person? Do I get to go first? Sure. Go, go first. We're going to agree on this one, but yeah, go first. Yeah. Um, I will say yes. I generally agree with Katie and Brian. However, Landon, we had discussed a few weeks ago, which I think kind of sparked the idea for this show. And you'd point out like, this is just his personality showing. It's not an arrogance thing. It's just, he is a smart guy syndrome. Again, you ask him a tactical question. He's going to answer in an honest way. And I think he is an honest, genuine guy. The problem is I don't think he thinks through how that comes off. I think when he talks about Daniel Pereira not being well-researched, he's not strategically saying it to light a fire under Danny. I think he's just being like, yeah, he clearly didn't do his research. And that's just like a fact. When he should, and I definitely think it's part of the coach's job to realize when you're dealing with a young player, your words matter. And in the same way, and I think this is what Katie and Brian get at, is like, I get frustrated that he doesn't come in after these big losses and say, I should have done this better. I think only recently I see, I saw him directly say like, this is on me. People are right to judge me for this one. And I think there's value when a coach does that because it's saying to the media and the fans, like put the focus on me, not on them. And then you go back in the locker room and you have that room to say like, guys, I'll fall on this sword so you can play with less pressure. And so that side, I think there's credibility that a good coach knows that and is aware of their words and, and uses them to their advantage to build or distract from their players' performances. And I have not seen him do that. Yeah, Jeremiah, I, uh, I, I completely agree with that. Like, I I don't think, to Jeremiah's earlier point about Bruce Arena, like, Bruce Arena's a jerk. <laughs> <And> yeah, <he's, laughs> no, nobody cares. He doesn't answer reporter questions. He talks down to reporters and to fans all the time. And nobody cares because he usually wins. He, for the most part, he's had very few bad seasons in his long career. And so people don't really care. And I, one of the things you and I talked about on the phone the other day, Chris, was that I don't believe that that is necessarily a manager's job to make fans happy and to do like PR stuff. But to your point, uh, people would like him a lot more if he did do those things and people would be a lot happier if he did do things given that we aren't winning because if we were winning nobody cared but we're not so uh, yeah I think it would help he would be helping himself a lot if he did care more about th those things or I don't even know if it's that he doesn't care about them it's that he doesn't put a well, lot I mean, of emphasis on them or like think about them that much let's talk about it plainly it took how long for him to know just oh if I wear a the right colors to the game, it will help. <laughs> like, I mean, it's not rocket science. And even still, he's not even wearing the right shade of verde when he puts on his little bonobo shirts. Like, like there's like being, it's just like, it's almost ignorant sometimes to me, you know? I'm like, it's, I, I, I agree. His first focus shouldn't be what I'm going to wear on game day and how it's going to impact the game. But I think it is a good overall insight into 
where his focus is and his focus does not seem to be on man management. And I think it has hurt us at points. But so Jeremiah, in, oh. in, in man management, there's one thing I wanted to, another thing I wanted to mention where I see on Twitter and talking to people in person where people say definitively, he's lost the locker room. These guys don't want to play for him anymore. And there's just no way to know that there's, and I think we'll get into this a bit more in our like final, final answers here about what we would need to see to, to see Josh Wolf get fired, like to think Josh Wolf mm-hmm. should be fired, but we don't know what's going on in the locker room. We, yeah, the players have off games, teams have off games, they fight for each other. They they don't put a lot of effort into this next game. You don't know what's going on in that locker room, and I it it kind of pisses me off when people say like, oh, he's clearly lost the locker room. It's like you don't know that. You don't know. We see these guys like hanging out Town Lake on Instagram and decide that they don't care about what's happening <laughs> between now and the end of the season, which is really weird. I mean, really weird way to evaluate that. Um, yeah, and so I was thinking, I was thinking on another sport because I was trying to think about like grumpy coaches who are really still really successful. It's like I think about like the also the most successful coach in the history of the National Football League, basically is Bill Belichick. And it was Cleveland. <laughs> when he was in Cleveland, he was a gr- grumpy jerk, and they lost. And he he got like this is kind of my point on Wolf. Like he had like no string, right? He's a grumpy jerk. He lost. They were quick to fire him. Where maybe if he hadn't have been like a grumpy jerk, they would have kept him longer. And then he got a job years later in New England. He was super successful. And then nobody cares about the personality anymore. And so I think to your point, Chris, I think where Wolf can hurt himself is like people are not going to want to give him grace or give him a leash because he doesn't seem to learn. You know, he doesn't seem to connect with people. He doesn't seem to learn in the way that he should. And so I think ultimately, like if this Wolf in thing maybe he buys himself an extra half a season if he does things sort of the right and the way that like it connects with fans and stuff. And his current approach right now is hurting him in terms of like how much grace people are willing to give him. Can I make one more point on this before we move on to kind of last section? Yep. And I'll expand on this later, but one thing we, we talk about this, especially amongst, you know, the three of us pretty rationally, right? Like we understand there's a lot of facets that go into what we see in the game. However, I really, I'm, I'm so big on this. I don't think, especially in America, the average fan realizes how much power they can have. If we woke up tomorrow or in the off season and said, any coach that doesn't fully embrace our culture and come out rocking La Murga shirts every game is not good enough no matter what, that can just be the attitude. I'm not saying that will probably happen here, but like there are absolutely teams in other parts of the world where like, if their coach does not respect their culture, their rivalry, the way they want to play the game. I mean, I've heard stories of coaches winning, but they didn't play the style of football they like to see. And they didn't last. Like the, I guess my thing to the point that Katie and, and Brian make is like this, um, you know, like he, he clearly doesn't seem, he seems disconnected with what the fans want. And they cite games like Frisco and his, his leaving the DPs out and things like that. Like, to your point, Landon, you're right. His focus is the winning the game, and he should not be making decisions based on what the fans want. However, the fans decide how much that means to them, and ultimately they have a say in how – ultimately they're the judge, right, of how well-received a coach is. So it, it's kind of this abstract discussion, but I think there is more value than we tend to place on it that fans get to decide how important that stuff is. you know. And if all we care about is winning and we don't care if he ever – puts on a Verde shirt in his life, like that's what we collectively agree on. And if we decide 
we boo him if he shows up not wearing the right colors. Like that can just be a part of our culture and, and time will tell what that grows into. But I, so I do think there's a, a certain value we have the power to place that that fans don't always take into account because they're we're so focused on supporting, right? So I think we should move into this last little segment here. And so one of the questions we wanted to ask is how much time do you think he should be given to prove himself, which I think Jeremiah and our, I already answered that, which is to the end, or sorry, mid-season, next season. What What is your answer, Chris? Um, it's pretty clear. If he doesn't win Copa Tejas, which would require moving out of last place and up at least two positions, I think he should be fired by the end of the season. Maybe Full this stop. question is irrelevant because uh, – I don't, do people, like, do you think most Austin FC fans understand that he's not going to be fired? Uh, this is, this is where I think we start to disagree a little bit. I, I agree that I think based on the Twitter reactions, I think most fans are, have the perspective. He will not be fired very easily this off season uh, to answer your question. But again, I think that's assuming we have no say. You know, so, like, okay, I think this leads into the next question we wanted to ask is what would need to happen for him to be fired or for you to think he should be fired at the end of the season? And so what I think you've already kind of answered your question, that question there, Chris, what is what is your thoughts there, Jeremiah? That he needs to be fired, that he will be fired. I mean, those are two well, different okay, things. Okay, let's so. say let's say what would what like what would need to happen for you to think that he will be fired bef- like at the end of this season or before the end of this season? Well, this is going to go back to like a conspiracy theory. I mean, it's not a conspiracy <laughs> theory, but like a belief I have about the organization. Like, I think that Josh Wolf is a very comfortable and easy hire for Anthony Precourt and his and Claudio and the organization. And I don't think there's anything that Josh Wolf could do between now and the end of the season that would cause him to get fired because I think they know him and trust him and they're not going to react to season one. So even if we lost every game, I don't think he will be fired. If we lose every game, I think he should be fired. But I think there's just like, I have not seen a lot of ambition to go outside the comfort zone from the organization to make me think they're going to make a rash decision or like a bold decision and get rid of him. Uh, Yeah, I agree with that. Like as far as what will happen, uh, I do think that Part like a lot of it is comfort, right? I think one thing that that I've told people and have gotten pushback from is I've said that like this season would need to be a complete and total disaster, and some people have said it already is a complete and total disaster. I was like, well, that's I'm talking like complete crash and burn, like to where like Cecilio Dominguez is refusing to train, or like mm-hmm. complete player revolt. I think that's what would need to happen for him to be fired. And it doesn't look, and I know some people like trying to read body language saying the players aren't bought in. It doesn't seem to be close to that point. Like the players are still on a given night fighting really hard, if not for Wolf, at least for each other. And um, it doesn't like, I, I think that's what would need to happen for Wolf to actually be fired uh, before the end of season. Barring that, I think Jeremiah is right. It's, it's a, a PR campaign. Like, he can do himself a lot of good by doing a few specific things between now and the end of the season. But even if he doesn't do those things, he's almost certainly going to have a job next season. He's just going to have a job with a lot more people thinking he shouldn't have a job. Yeah. I would put 
two slight notes with that. A, I agree completely. And I think you're totally spot on in that he's the safe hire that Precourt made. However, I do not think this is Anthony Precourt's Columbus crew. I think this is a different ball game for him. I've heard multiple people say he treats this team much more as his passion project. He clearly has wanted to be in Austin for a long time. There's reason to believe there's a different leash on the coaches now because he's invested much more in this team than he did in the crew. He's got bigger stakes in it. So while I agree, I do think it's probably not as safe as he would be if, as, as Greg was in Columbus. Um, I, the, go ahead, Lena. I agree with that, but I, I honestly almost think that the leash is not shorter because of it. I do believe that Anthony Precourt is being more ambitious with Austin FC and will be at least for the next few years. We'll see what happens long-term, but I think we've seen enough evidence that at least for the next few years, he is going to be more ambitious with Austin than he was with the crew. Um, one of my arguments for Wolf, and I'll make this my final one, is about what is the goal with Josh Wolf? And I think I can go back to an example of, of looking at Greg Berhalter getting hired for the national team. There were rumors that Tata Martino was interested in that job and did not get an interview. I think for the short term and for in-game decisions, single game, like the span of two years, Tata Martino is the better option for that. I think you could say that in the longer term, if you're trying to like revolutionize the system, Greg Berhalter is the profile of the person you want to do that. Whether or not you think he's a good enough coach to do that, that's a different thing because I think there's a valid argument to say he's not. But I think Anthony Precourt's vision is to build a system that cranks out these players that play this kind of of soccer. And I think he believes Josh Wolf is the guy to instill that. I went, I've been out watching the Academy teams play. Those kids are passing the hell out of the ball around the field. They're playing circles around some of their opponents. And so that system is there all the way down to the Academy system right now. And so I could, I could see Josh Wolf being here for two or three years, regardless of if he's successful at the first team if he installs this system that has a lasting effect on the the whole organization of Austin FC that might be what that that might be a success organizationally even if he never becomes the first team decision maker that we want him to so let me respond to that real quick because i think that's a really good point especially at the Berhalter example i think if that's the goal what a roll of dice pre-court made absolutely first time head coach to do that and he should i would imagine be very aware that that is a huge risk so i think yeah if you end the first season in last place and you say i'm trying to build this whole system and if pretty soon these kids are gonna be ready to play i need to know they've got the right person to go play under i don't think it's crazy he says let's find someone else who can carry out my vision better because like seriously, I don't know. How, I got uh, it drives I, me crazy thinking, but like we're in last place. That is horrible. That is as bad my, as we could be. My my point is the vision is longer sighted than this season, and I think my it point, has nothing to do with this season. This season is is a stepping stone to the third, the fourth, the fifth season. 
I, I agree, but I think my point would be that he's not the sole person in the world of soccer that can carry out that vision. No, that that's completely fair argument. I'm not, and yeah. I'm not even arguing that he is. Right. I don't, yeah, I don't, I, I don't want, it, I don't want to, to, to people to get the, the idea that I think Josh Wolf is <laughs> the, the correct person for this. I just think right. that's the plan and that's the person they chose for it. And that's a, that's a good point. Whether or not that works out, like, is is to be seen and we'll find that out and this this wolf in wolf out argument will will continue long into next season i imagine but i don't think that this season was ever going to be the determination of whether or not this was the right call or not right and i mean let's let's put step back a sec to your your big question of like what's the goal and i think that's valid but like the end goal of that is to be very successful Right. Like the reason you want to build a distinct style of play and carry it out is so it brings you success. But you determine what success is based on your goals. And I don't think this season was necessarily the goal. Yeah. But we're done. But now we're getting into the debate of like, how long does he got? Right. Because we've, we've established this style of play. And if we determine he's not good enough, like how long does he get? And that, I think that's kind of, what I interpreted your question as is like, obviously it's not just a one and done season and it's purely based on how he does this season. But like the hope can't just be that we always play possession ball and it works or it doesn't like next season, he's got to provide results. And then they said at the beginning of this season, the goal this year was playoffs or bust. And we aren't even close I think, to that. I think I, well, nobody ever said playoffs or bust, but I do think they should have, they should have, uh, been a bit more careful with those statements. <laughs> well, I, th- I mean, I, you, this, is, I feel like those are like things people say to sell tickets. Like, what are they going to say? Yeah, they're not going like, to. Oh yeah, we're going to suck. That we're going to we're going to finish last this year. But like, <laughs> we hope you guys buy tickets, show up and yell. Like, I don't. I mean, I, I just want to quote our friend Miazga theory with "I'm Wolf Chili" because I'm in, but I'm no, I'm going to regret it later. Like that's ultimately, <laughs> that's ultimately my opinion on 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 this topic. Yeah. All right. So, c- can I make just two more quick notes before we wrap up? Oh um, man, and one this is, is going to be the longest episode ever. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, y'all. Um, Go for it. So, uh, one point, and it's the main reason why I'm more wolf out than wolf in, is we, you know, we give all these reasons, but my biggest fear for next season is that he will improve, but not nearly enough, and that this time next year we'll be in ninth or eighth place, and it'll feel okay because we're better than this season. When we started this first year saying that's kind of the minimum we want is to be in a fighting contention for a playoff spot. And then we're talking about two years where we're not meeting our goals. And then how long does it take to, to even get to what we thought we would be in year one? So that's, that's kind of the basis of why I don't think he should be given as long as a leash as a lot of people do. And the other thing I want to throw out is answering a question Mateo Clark threw out in Twitter, which is, if not him, who, like, who would we replace him with? And while I have not done more than maybe five minutes of research on this, and I say that only because people should know there are plenty more options than just the one I'm going to give out. If you want an example of who could replace Josh Wolf without sacrificing the system we've built, it's Dome Turan. He's the former assistant coach of Manchester City under Pep Guardiola, literally the pinnacle of the style Wolf likes to play of this possession ball built out of the back. He was extremely successful with NYCFC, placed 
when he was the head coach there was first place in his first year under them um, and would have won the supporter shield if it wasn't for the record breaking LAFC season that happened on the other conference um, and plays the same style of ball. And he is available right now. He currently has no coaching gig. He was let go from his next job in Brazil. So many say unfairly. And that's like, that's a guy we could sign immediately in the off season has worked with multiple so. of our players <laughs> and Reina hired when he was in charge at NYCFC. So he has connections. Like I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm just saying it's not Wolf or nobody. Like there are people right now that could step in, not alter our system significantly and probably get better results. So take that as you will. <laughs> my, my only, the only thing I'll say against that is if you fire a head coach after eight months, I think you are limiting who will actually want to come and coach your team at that point. I, at least say, hurting the chances. I'd say it does the opposite effect too, that if you end the season in last place and don't fire them, it sends a message to the fans and to the players that that level of failure is okay on some level. Okay. I think we need to stop now. <laughs> I know. I'm, is I'm there anything back we, so many thoughts. <laughs> is there anything we missed, Jeremiah? No, I feel like we covered all of it. Um, okay, we still need to do a quick Minnesota United preview, don't we? Yeah. Okay, let's do it very fast then. Jeremiah, tell us a little bit about Minnesota United. So we have a lot of experience with Minnesota United way back. We've talked about this now, but way back on May 1st, we beat them 1-0 as part of our first and only win streak of the season so after Colorado. We won two games in a row, and we thought we were going to be the best expansion team ever. And then, uh, you know, things changed significantly, which led to the debate that we had tonight. Uh, then on June 23rd, or maybe 24th, we actually played him again, uh, lost 2-0 in a game that many Perez, Aiden Stanley, which I think that was his only start of the year, right? Uh, I think it has to be. Yeah, he started that game. Roddy Reddish started that game, and Little Sebastian started that game. It's probably the first match that we talked about. Josh Wolf over rotating, uh, didn't look competitive at all, and was probably our first worst game of the year. <laughs> the first one, yes. <laughs> which we would do many, many times over, which uh, Chris Bills called it a no good, very bad night for Austin FC in Minnesota. Um, right now, they're seventh in the West in the final playoff spots. So they're 38 points in 28 games. I think they're one point ahead of Vancouver. Um, Recently, they have dipped a little bit. They had a good midseason run. And I thought we'd talk about a couple couple guys pretty quick. So um, the first guy, Robin Lode, is a... What he's a... Where does he... He's an international player. I think he's Finnish. F okay, Finnish. Oh, yes. The country of Alex Ring and other things. I think things. he's Finnish. <laughs> so he leads a club with seven goals, but we luckily did not see him either time against Austin FC because he... I don't think he was in the country the first time. And he was on international duty playing in the Euros the second time we played them. Correct. Yeah. Um, so they, they added him during the season. Who was the other guy that they added during the so season? So they added two guys. Uh, so the first time we played them, they did not have either of these guys. And they were Franco Fragapane and Adrian Hunu, who I believe both scored or got an assist against us in that second game. Uh 
Fragapane has had some injury stuff going on, and so I'm not sure what his status is. Who knew is apparently in the doghouse with Adrian Heath, who Adrian Heath now has a record of putting strikers in the doghouse. And so who knows if we'll see him. They've been playing Lude, who is a central midfielder, essentially. They've been playing him at striker, which was kind of what happened before when a striker had been in the doghouse. Um, but he's he's been showing return off of it, right? He's their leading scorer. But Bella Reynoso is still on the team. That's reason enough to respect them and fear them a little bit because that man is, whenever he's on, he's amazing. Yeah, all those guys uh, form a dangerous strike force. Who was the striker before in Minnesota? Well, so the first time they brought in a guy, uh, Juan Chope is his nickname. I can't remember his actual name, but it's kind of like a, a slow, older guy that didn't really do much against us. And then when they brought Unu in, they kind of stopped playing him and he hasn't really seen much time since then. Gotcha. And uh, let's just look. I mean, they've got a lot of names, got a lot of people that you'll recognize um, when we play against them. But and, Oh, and the other thing is, this will be the first... Um, so I bought one of those green Austin FC jackets like in April. I believe it'll be the first time I've gotten to watch a home game and wear a jacket. Yeah, it should be all like year long. Maybe at least, at the very least, cool, if not cold at the end of the game, which is going to be amazing. Yeah, especially when we talked uh, in the last one, everybody was melting on the east side of the stadium. <laughs> So shout out to the East Side, who should have a much more pleasant experience on this weekend. All right, let's uh, wrap it up. We're going to go through this part fast. Rate and review rate and review, and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, find us on Twitter. Come talk to us online. We always love having that conversation with everybody. Uh, I know we probably didn't get to as many of the points as we would, wanted, would have wanted to, but like I said before, this Wolfen-Wolfout debate will likely carry on into deep into next season, if not all the way throughout next season and on into eternity. So there'll be a lot more opportunities to have these discussions. And uh, yeah, again, find us on Twitter. Let us know if there's anything we missed, if there's any other points that you wish we would have made or things we, you thought we got wrong. We're always happy to, to have those conversations. So thanks so much for listening. We'll be back in one week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer, where we will review that Minnesota United match and then we'll preview the next two games, which are San Jose and Houston, another three three game week. And then we'll cover any other news that happens. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. And I'm Chris Wellhausen. We'll catch you next time. No one is around. Muchas gracias. Bye bye. No, no, I like it. Is it is it too much? It I add in after you say they'll make more if I say and remember if they make more, we make more. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's going too much. That's going at the end of the show.